Third time's a charm, right? Um, we, we need to do our creed. Right, let's stand together. Sorry about that. I wasn't briefed. <laughs> but today's Pentecost Sunday celebration. It's actually next week, but we're doing it today. Uh, so spontaneity is good. Let's declare this. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's what we believe. Beautiful. Okay, this morning we're um, talking about Pentecost. Again, technically it's next week uh, on the church calendar. But uh, those of you that are old school Pentecostal charismatics, you need to put your shouting clothes on. Thank you. Here's, <laughs> here's our text. When the day of Pentecost came, <clears throat> they were all together in one place. Let me just sidebar and say, if you, if you want to find something that the scriptures, the New Testament, are almost OCD about, it's this business of one, togetherness moving toward each other, working through their differences, loving the person they perceive as the other instead of running from them. And we started out here this day when Pentecost happens. They're all in one place together. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and then filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, remember this fire, that separated and came upon to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues. That's unusual. As the Spirit enabled them, many of you probably heard about this idea of speaking with tongues. It's referred to as glossolalia by theologians. It's the notion of praying, not with your mind, but as you'll see in a moment, Paul says it's praying or articulating from your spirit, <laughs> which if, if you know a little bit about Bible language, you'll remember that Paul talks about that the human life is not just a, 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 just a single being, that we have parts of us. It's not real clear, but he talks about there being kind of a spiritual part, a soul part, a body part. And even though you can't be real too distinctive about that, because all of theology, let, let me just be honest with you. You know, when we talk as pastors and, and theologians discuss things, you know, a lot of times people sit and they think, wow, how do they know that? You know, and it sounds so specific and so articulate. You have to know None of us know what we're talking about. I mean, not completely. We have ideas, and they're discussion points, and we dance around it, but it's not all that clear. In fact, that's one of the things I like about the Eastern Orthodox. They focus on what's called apophatic theology. And what that is, is they focus more on the fact that even though we talk about things, we really can't know them like we know things. God is other. He's being, but he's also not being. He's beyond being. So we're talking about something that you can't really trace or figure out. So we just can only kind of approximate and discuss them a little bit. That's why, you know, sometimes people, you know, have different ways of approaching things. Well, who's right? The answer to that is probably none of us. <laughs> but 
I think God loves that we're moving toward it and talking about it. And so we're talking about these things as best as we can understand them. But somehow there's a spiritual part of us, and there's a soulish kind of part of us. It's more our mind and our intellect and our will. Then there's a physical part of us. We all kind of get that. Well, Paul says that this glossolalia, or this tongues, comes is like instead of your mind controlling your tongue, your spiritual part actually gives voice to your mouth. Your, your, your language is not known to your head, in fact, Paul, we'll see it in a moment, says, the mind is unfruitful, but my spirit is actually praying. So that's what he's talking about here. Sounds a little odd. Actually, it is a little odd. But uh, this is, refer- is often referred to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, this whole Pentecostal event. This is where Pentecostals come from. Charismatics is a euphemism for Pentecostalism, just like uh, uh, you know, the memorial gardens is a euphemism for the graveyard. Right, you know how we change language because it, we're trying to unpack it from old stigmas? Well, charismatic and religious Pentecostals. But uh, this whole notion of Pentecostalism comes from this moment of Pentecost. And they like to talk a lot about praying in tongues. And it's referred to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's tied to texts like here in Matthew 3. This is John the Baptist speaking. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not fit to carry. Well, he's talking about Jesus. And he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This idea, John say, I immersed you into water. The Lord Jesus is going to immerse you into the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's that fire thing. The idea here is that in this immersion in the Spirit, this baptism in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes the front stage in the event. Now, this is stated crudely, but just bear with me a moment. In the Gospels, Jesus usually speaks of the Father. In salvation, when people cross the threshold of faith and they're beginning to consider the claims of Christ and this whole notion of surrendering their lives to God, they go through a process that the Bible actually says we're being taught by the Holy Spirit or drawn by the Holy Spirit into Christ. That somehow the Holy Spirit immerses us into Christ. Okay? And then... After that, this, this notion of, of, of uh, salvation, water baptism, it, Jesus speaks of the Spirit. And he talks actually about the time when people would believe in him, that they would receive the Spirit. So even though Trinitarian language is not all that exact, you say, what does this all mean exactly? We don't know what it all means exactly. One of the great uh, um, church fathers, ancient church fathers, described the Trinity as kind of like watching a couple dancing on a, uh, you know, on a floor, dance floor that you know, for a minute you see the one, and then all of a sudden you see the other, and then you see the other one. You just keep seeing different faces. As they're dancing, it's hard to focus on just one. You see them both. Well, in the same way, when we're talking about God, it, we see God as Father, and then Son, and then Holy Spirit, and then Spirit, and Holy, you know, God, and the Son. It's, it's, not, it's just in Scripture, it's not as clear, as segmenting as we'd like it to be, but it's a bit of a mystery. But somehow, in this mystery, uh, Pentecost celebrates that moment where we see the Spirit dancing and we clearly see His face and He's engaged with us in a moment that we refer to as immersion in the Spirit. Now, this, this is the same Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to understand this. That when they thought about this, they're recognizing the reason they're connecting with the Holy Spirit and they're seeing Him in the dance and they're connecting with Him is because they're recognizing that this is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that when they connect with him, they're connecting with a spirit that will animate their lives in a different way. 
And so we read in Romans 8, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. You can't get any more, you know, gutsy and bloody. And Your mortal body is affected or animated by the Holy Spirit, giving life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in you. See, when they thought about the Holy Spirit and react or experiencing the Holy Spirit, they weren't just thinking about remembering the Lord or thinking about the Lord in memory like you would about somebody that died. They were thinking about the actual presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, in their mortal lives, that, that somehow he would impact them. Uh, uh, philosophers call it ontological presence. In other words, really, he's there. The Holy Spirit's actually there. And when you experience him, he animates you in a way that's different than if you hadn't experienced him. And so the scripture talks about as a, resu- a result of being animated by the Spirit, the fruit of being touched by the Holy Spirit is all of a sudden you're loving in a way you would have never imagined. That you have joy in places you shouldn't have joy. That you would have peace that transcends understanding. That you would have kindness and faithfulness and self-control in a way that you never had self-control. So the challenge of the Christian experience was to find the spout where that glory came out and, and to be animated by that presence. So they were very aware that the Holy Spirit was, 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 was one to pursue. Okay, so they anticipated new life from this. Um, now the question is, that comes up when you discuss this, isn't this what happens when we come into salvation? You know, that we're immersed in the Holy Spirit. Certainly the Holy Spirit's involved in salvation. When we, people cross the threshold of faith and they declare Jesus as Lord, uh, the, the Scripture says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says that the Holy Spirit immerses us into Christ. So when you are in crossing the threshold of faith and you experience what we call salvation, obviously the Holy Spirit's all mixed up in that. But he's not the focus. Jesus is the focus. And somehow in this event, it's like it turns. All of a sudden we see no longer the Jesus face in the dance. We see the Holy Spirit's face. And at least the confusion of it being two separate events is in the Bible. There seems to be two separate events. And yet it seems like they can happen at the same time, but it doesn't always happen at the same time. Have I got you confused yet? All right, let's watch it. I'll show you. Acts chapter 8. Those who have been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed Christ there. The crowds heard Philip. They saw these miraculous signs. They all paid close attention to his message, to what he said. And they have evil spirits coming out of people. People were were sick, were getting healed. Great joy in the city. And then in verse 12, it says, "When when they believed Philip, they believed what he was preaching, the good news about the kingdom. And they believed in the name of Jesus. And they were baptized, both men and women. See, they were responding to the gospel. They heard it. They believed it. They were baptized. These guys had crossed the threshold of faith. Then we jump down to verse 14. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, watch what they do. They sent Peter and John to them. Why? When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Why would they do that? They had come to Christ. Yes, they did. But they hadn't received in this very articulated way the role of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. There's that idea of immersion, baptism. They had simply believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received intentionally, specifically, in a differentiated way, they received the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So we have like these two distinctive kind of events. Maybe some of you have never thought that or seen that in Scripture, that there's a differentiation made here. Again, it happens in Acts 19. This is while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So Paul is obviously saying you could have. This could have been a singular event. But in this particular case, in the Acts 8 case, it wasn't. And in this particular case, it wasn't either. Because he says, they said, uh, we haven't even heard that there's such a thing as the Holy Spirit, right? So Paul says, well, what, you know, start digging into it. What baptism? We were baptized in John's baptism. And Jesus said, John's baptism, or Paul said, John's baptism did some good stuff. Uh, but he said, you need to come to Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul lays his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they what? Spoke in tongues and prophesied. There's about 12 of these guys going on. When this happens in their lives, they have made a distinction between the coming of faith to the person of Jesus and the acknowledging of the person of the Holy Spirit and his role in their life. So what actually happens when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit? What evidence do you see? Well, one of the things that happens a lot, we read just a couple of places here, is they pray in this supernatural language, this glossolalia. They pray in tongues. And uh, historically, if you look at the record, you see glossolalia, sometimes called ecstatic language, showing up over and over in the historical record, particularly in the monastic you know, the monasteries where people went there sequestered to pray and they prayed a lot. A lot of times you'd see this showing up through the historical record. So it was was there. I used to think that praying in tongues was the only real evidence of someone that received the Holy Spirit. Because, I mean, I I, I was influenced by Pentecostal thought and uh, and brought up in Pentecostal thought. And so, I mean, to me, there were the haves and the have-nots right? And I would, if, if I met you and I'm talking to you, I mean, it just took me a few minutes to find out if you were a Christian. And if you're a Christian, my next kind of set of questions were, do you speak with tongues? Right? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And uh, it was my mission to make everybody talk in tongues. Sometimes people would say to me, well, the scripture says not everyone speaks with tongues. And I would say, well, yeah, that's because they hadn't met me yet. You know, <laughs> try to get everybody to speak with tongues. <laughs> and, uh, but... I mean, it was, I was probably two years in, in pastoral care back in 82, 83 maybe. And um, uh, there's this gal from Campus Crusade for Christ who came to see me. There, she was looking for some support. So we're sitting in my office, and uh, Campus Crusade for Christ at that time, I don't know what their stand is now, they were pretty anti-tongue stuff. And so Bill Bride is a wonderful, wonderful man. He's gone to be with the Lord now. Uh, talked all the time about being full of the Holy Spirit, but he never talked about it in terms of language of tongues. He said, you're full with the Holy Spirit by declaring Jesus as Lord. You're filled with the Holy Spirit by cultivating a humility, a surrender, and obedience to the Lord. And that's how they fought to stay full of the Spirit and immersed in the Spirit. That was his notion. And so I'm talking to this gal, and uh, she's Campus Crusade for Christ, but I'm telling you, she is so full of the Holy Spirit. I mean... I'm talking to her, and her eyes, it was like looking into Jesus' eyes, what I would imagine Jesus' eyes would be like, full of other care and love. And her language and her, the way she was talking and how she, her whole spirit, her whole attitude about it. I mean, it was like she just got out of the God pool, and she was just dripping. God. And I'm thinking to myself, she's more full of the Holy Spirit than anybody I know, including moi. 
And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I bet she doesn't, oh, I bet she doesn't talk in tongues. <laughs> and so, because she's going to say, so I said, so I stopped her. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, you're obviously full of the Holy Spirit. I said, do you speak with tongues? She goes, no. <laughs> because my whole, my whole little Pentecostal charismatic perspective blew up because this gal had more, I've seen tongue talkers more full of the devil than the Lord. And here's a non-tongue talker, more full of God than, I mean, I'm telling you, than any charismatic I'd ever met. And so I remember sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, you can be full of the Holy Spirit intentionally and never speak with tongues. And then going back and revisiting this text, this is 1 Corinthians 12. Now you're part of the body of Christ. Each one of you has a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, prophets, thirdly, teachers, workers of miracles those having gifts of healing, people that are able to help in special ways, those that have gifts of administration, those who speak in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles rhetorically? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Obviously, no. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. And, and I remember coming to the place to realize you don't have to speak with tongues to be full of the Spirit. And yet... I still have the conviction that speaking, speaking in tongues helps you. And I'll tell you how this happened, but a, a few minutes, actually it was the second time I met with this gal, and we were supporting her so the following year. I, I talked to her, I said, you know, I've been thinking about you, and I told her, I said, you messed with me, because you're so full of the Holy Spirit. And I said, but you know what? I think you could speak with tongues. She said, well, I'm open to that, and I'll tell you what happened. But anyway, I, I, what I would suggest to you is there's different ways to get down to downtown Tulsa. You could bike it, you could drive it, you could walk it, right? I'm telling you, the tongues is at least a bike. <laughs> All right, so why? Why do it? Why do this? Why have this crazy language you don't understand? You sound like the village idiot when you're doing it. Why do this? Well, first of all, let me show you that Paul really liked tongues. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And you're going to see a few texts here that surround what he said here. Tongues, he's talking about praying out of his spirit. His mind doesn't know what he's saying. This glossolalia. He says, I pray in tongues more than you all. And those of you that are a little bit biblically literate know that the Corinthian bunch were a tongue-talking bunch. Right? And they, they, in fact, so much so, Paul actually, in this particular chapter, is trying to correct them because they're doing it too much. They're, trying to, they're just speaking out of their, you know, praying in tongues or talking in tongues at one another, and, and nobody knows what's going on. So it was kind of silly. But the reality is why? Why is tongues important? Why would we do this? I want to give you three things. Why? First, it helps us to pray. When you pray in tongues, there's something about it that helps you when... I think all of us have gotten to the place where we have a concern, we have a burden, something's in our heart. It might be about a family member. It might be about the situation that we're facing. It could be about the government. I mean, whatever. Just something burdens you. And, and when you're burdened about it, you can pray at it, and you can you know, bring Bible verses and pray or find written prayers that are well articulated and pray those and join those voices that, are, that participate in those kind of prayers. And you can do all that. And, and still sometimes when you're done praying with your understanding, you still feel a burden. Well, this is what's cool about this tongue thing. Because after your mind gets done articulating, you can begin to pray from your gut, from the place that gets burdened, from the place that groans. And so we read it here in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray for as we ought. We don't, know, we don't know what we ought to pray for. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words in articulate speech can express. And it's this notion. It's interesting. The very next verse says, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and follow according to his purpose. The notion is when we pray with the Spirit that we know the outcome will always be the perfect will of God. Very cool thing. Um, My experience, I'll give you one story. I have a number of ghost stories, Holy Ghost stories. Um, And one of them is is, uh, Gail and I were traveling in southern Wisconsin, and uh, this was years ago. It was a Wednesday. We were trying to get back for service that night. And in southern Wisconsin, southern western Wisconsin, it's very hilly and narrow roads. Bill, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, uh, you know, you go up in there, and and, uh, she was driving, and she was used to, you know, she came out of uh, St. Louis. That's where she grew up, and she always drove highways. I grew up in rural Wisconsin, and when you drive in rural Wisconsin, you don't see a highway for an hour. You know, I'm talking about like a double-laned highway. You don't see that. You're just driving, and it's every man for himself. I mean, you have to take some risks. You have to go for it. You have to know the timing because, you know, you're pulling out. You're pulling out like a truck or something. You've got to get out going really fast, and there's cars coming at you. You've got to figure out how to go. You know, it's just, anyway. So she's getting used to driving that, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, we were in there uh, driving up there, and this gal that was driving, she couldn't she could have been going more than 30, 35 miles an hour, and we could be going about 50 safely. It was pretty windy and hilly, but it, you could do 50. So she comes up on her, and uh, she looks at me, and I said, you know, I don't know, you know, trying to make a choice. And uh, so she pulls out to pass her. And just as she pulls out, you could see there was a, there was a couple hills, and just there was, a, there was a, a little hill and then a bigger hill. And over the bigger hill, out about 100 yards, uh, which isn't very far <laughs> when you're going 50 miles an hour, uh, is the top of a semi. And all of a sudden, she sees it. It's obvious we are not going to get past this car, or we're going to die. Right, so Gail slams on the brakes to get back in the lane, you know, instead of trying to pass the gal. But the problem was the gal saw the truck and she slammed on her brakes, and so we slam on the brakes and there we are stopped. The car, our car, dies, and this truck is coming at us. And I'm not kidding you. I'm thinking we're going to see Jesus today. That's how close it was, and that's how fast it was coming. And you know, all of us want to see Jesus. We just don't want to die. Right? There's an anxiety moment here. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know how, but that trucker instantly saw us. He was paying attention, thank God. Slammed on his brakes and... Right up to our car. You know, Gail's got her hands glued into the steering wheel. And, uh, and you know, we're both trembling. Literally trembling. I don't know if you've, you know, if you've been in an almost accident and you literally are trembling. So she pulled over, I started driving, and uh, we got back to the church that night. I came in before the service, and one of the gals who's a prayer lady, you prayed a lot, uh, intercessor type person, came up to me, and she said, what was going on today? I said, what do you mean? About one o'clock, it was about one o'clock. About one o'clock, she said, I'm washing the dishes, and she said, all of a sudden, she said, I had this sense of, this ominous kind of sense, something's up. So she said, I, I didn't know what to pray. I said, I was praying in the Spirit. I started praying in tongues. And she said, then it lifted. She said, what was going on? I said, well, we were almost dying. <laughs> I, mean, I believe in this. I'm telling you, I, I could tell you dozens of these ghost stories of the Holy Spirit doing something through the lives of people as they prayed, not knowing what they're doing, and their prayer lives. I'm not saying you couldn't do that if you didn't have tongues, because I think you can. I think you can grow on and pray it, that kind of thing. But I just think tongues makes it easier. 
A second thing that I love about tongues, I mean, it's a great gizmo for times like that, right? But, but here's the second thing that I love. It tongues charges you up. It's, it's a, listen to this text. This is 1 Corinthians 14. This is Paul. He's talking about this business of tongues. He said, now follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Some of us don't even care about spiritual gifts, much less desire them. But he says, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, he's talking about in the context of the community. So you have to kind of keep that in context because he's, he's, ta- he's, he's kind of comparing the personal prayer language to the public prayer and expression. And so he's saying personal prayer language shouldn't be done for everybody. So it sounds a little negative, but watch the language here. He says, you should really want the gift of prophecy in the public context is what we should say. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, he's talking about this personal prayer thing, does not speak to people. It's not for people. You're speaking to God personally. Indeed, no one understands him, including the person praying. In fact, in verse 14, we won't show it to you, but in verse 14, this is where Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. When I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. When I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. My mind is unfruitful. So he says here, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. He's uttering mysteries. Well, who are they mysteries to? Certainly not God. It isn't when you pray in the spirit, God doesn't go, oh, myself, I didn't realize that. Right? It's not a mystery to him. But somehow it's a mystery to us. But when we pray in tongues, somehow we're praying out these mysteries about how we think we should pray. And I think that's what works into good. And, and then he says, everyone who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. But he or she who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Right? But he who prophesies edifies the church. But watch that. When you're praying in tongues, you're edifying yourself. It's like you're charging up a battery. That's what edify means. How many of you have forgotten to plug in your cell phone and then brought it with you, get in a conversation just to realize you have no battery left. And if it's a very long conversation, what happens to your cell phone? It dies. I think that most of us, and this is one of the shames of the 21st century church, we don't get edified enough. And so we go to church, and we get a little edification, and we last along, but you start getting in a long conversation or something that's a little traumatic or something that's a little detailed or something that's a little demands a little perseverance, and we're running out of battery all the time. We're walking around like dead people. We need some charging. <laughs> and, and Paul is claiming that somehow when we pray in tongues, it actually charges us. He, he quotes from a text in Isaiah uh, in this chapter 14 where where the writer says, uh, for with stammering lips and another tongue, God will speak to his people to whom he said, this is the rest uh, wherewith we may cause weary people to rest. This is the refreshing. Talk about tongues. Could bring rest. Could bring refreshment. Some of you have this gift and never use it. Some of you have never thought about how to approach it. That's what I'm trying to help both of us. Those kind of folks this morning. Tongues is this great, great battery charging, stress relieving, cleanse the burnout kind of thing. If you'll jump into it, you'll find out it'll bring success. And, and some of you have never prayed in tongues for an hour. I double dog dare you to do it. Just without feeling, just kick into it and tongue it. Just say, I'm doing it for an hour. That first 45 minutes is like 75 hours. But I'm telling you, if you'll do it, I just dare to experiment with it. You will hit something. The old, the old writers, the old uh, you know, mystic writers and early Pentecostals would talk about this. They talk about breaking through something. 
And it's literally like that. It's like you go, bing. John G. Lake, who's an old dead uh, Pentecostal guy, uh, lived in the 1800s. He wrote, and, and this was the day of trains, though, so he used this analogy. He said, when I start praying in tongues, now I'm perfect. When I start praying in tongues, it's like I'm pouring out all of my concern and my worry and my angst and my, and my garbage into this train. I'm loading up car after car after car with all of my anxieties for life and the day. And he says, as I continue, he says, somehow, and I don't know how, and I don't know when exactly, but somehow that train goes to heaven, pours all my garbage out, reloads up with liquid glory, turns around in heaven, comes back, and instead of me pouring out, it starts pouring in. And I walk out of that moment full of life. If you've never, I mean, if that sounds like crazy talk to you, you haven't prayed in your tongue long enough. I'm telling you, I'll give you your money back if you try it. You're done. I'm actually, a, and I'm coming out of the closet this morning. I'm a tongue talker. You know, and, and let me say something to you, Pentecostals, charismatics. See, sometimes their emphasis, I, uh, let me sidebar, say this. I'm in a meeting. This was back in early 80s. I'm in a meeting, a bunch of charismatic leaders, about uh, 300 of us. And I, I used to lead worship. Don't tell anybody. And I'm leading worship. <laughs> On my guitar, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. But um, and we get into this moment, and I can, this may sound crazy, but I'm telling you, this is there's two moments in my whole life that I've thought was, what in the world is going on? And this is one of those, what in the world is going on? Because as we paused for that moment, it was like everyone on the stage, and afterwards they confirmed this. It was like this rushing mighty wind thing. Literally, there was something going, and every time it happened, it was like I'm going. I didn't hear it, but it was like you felt it, speeding up just a little. It was going on for about six times, eight times, and I'm going. It's going to happen, and all of a sudden. The preachers who was assigned to speak that morning, his wife gave out a tongue to be interpreted. If you've never been in a Pentecostal service, you don't know what I'm talking about. Google it. It worked. The guy who was preaching interpreted, and I am telling you, it was like you, it just like it killed everything. It was like the whole present. Just it was the rest of the service was as dead as dead can be. I'm praying afterwards, saying, "What in the world?" Because I found I said, "Did you guys say?" Oh my God! I said, "What happened?" And and as I was praying to it, this idea I don't know if it's God, I don't know if I made it up. This idea came to me that when God tries to do new things, sometimes we just go back to what we know and try to make it happen again. You know why our services are different than they were 15 years ago? Because God's emphasizing something. We're, most of us, most of us, a lot of us are charismatic. Well, why don't we do more charismatic things? Because this is a different time. Doesn't mean it isn't legitimate, it isn't, isn't right. It's just this is a different time. When I first started coming to Pentecostal churches, they preached for a few minutes, sang a couple of songs, and then the whole time we'd spend hours at the altar. 
then we stop doing that. There are people today that are still trying to do that. I don't know who that was supposed to be. Generally, I pray in tongues every day. And I do it throughout the day while I'm driving, exercising, like doing dishes or something, which doesn't happen a lot. Uh, going to sleep, I'll pray in tongues. This may surprise you, but I pray in tongues a lot when I'm in an intense conversation. Because my mind needs to be engaged, and my mind's not fruitful when I'm praying in tongues. So I can be praying in tongues. It's like I'm tapping my spirit. <laughs> when I'm praying in tongues. And sometimes, Actually, sometimes when I'm preaching, if I have a pause and I feel like I'm not being real clear, I'll start praying in tongues under my voice. It's like you can talk to yourself under your voice. I'll do that. I'm a tongue talker. When I go back and forth to services, I always pray in tongues, trying to charge up my battery. I'm a tongue talker, right? Uh, Mind's unfruitful, you can be. But yet on the same token, you can start tapping into your spirit and keep your mind engaged in something else. All right, the third thing I want to say about that is that praying in tongues is the doorway to a spiritual wonder house. It's the doorway to other gifts of the spirit. It's, it's like a gateway drug. <laughs> Praying in tongues will increase Holy Spirit activity. This, I wish I had, I had some other stories I can't tell you. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> last thing I want to say about this is how to do it. Right? How do you pray in tongues? All right. Um, number one, is be open to the person of the Holy Spirit, not to tongues. If you want to receive your prayer language and praying in tongues, don't go, Lord, I want my prayer language. Come on, give me my prayer language. Go and say, Lord, I need, I need to see the dancing Holy Spirit. I need to see the Holy Spirit. I need to be immersed in you, Holy Spirit. I need to surrender my life. I need to declare Jesus as Lord. I come open and surrendered. And you may want to make a season out of it for the next couple of weeks. You maybe do a little fasting. And instead of going to food, you stop and say, you know what? I'm not going to eat. My body's longing for that Big Mac. I want that Big Mac. You know I love Big Macs. I really want to eat that Big Mac. I can smell it, the Big Mac. But I want you more. I want your presence more. I want your spirit on me. I need to be immersed in the spirit. You need to cultivate that kind of hunger for God because those that are hungry get filled. And then when you get to that moment, you maybe find a place and surrender and open your heart. And the moment you say, Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. When you sense his presence, the moment you sense his presence, and you know you've gone far enough, you've sought long enough. At whatever moment that is, it may take you weeks, it may take you months, it may take you days. But whatever you get to that point, when you sense his presence and you know he's there and you know it's real, then give him your tongue. Start talking. You. With stammering lips, like a baby. They all sound like an idiot. That's exactly right. You are an idiot. And I am an idiot. We are idiots. But it's in this moment of giving God our, being willing to disconnect our mind with our tongue and give it to our spirit. It's like you're opening something up. Best example I can give you of this is Matthew 14. This is a miracle that Jesus did with Peter And watch how much Peter's involved. It's a really quick story. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they freaked out. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. And Jesus said, hey, guys, take courage. It's me. Don't freak. Lord, if it's you, Peter says, tell me to come out to you on the water. Jesus said, come, watch. Then Peter got out of the boat. Who got out of the boat? Who did? Peter got out of the boat walked on the water, 
and came toward Jesus. Now, family, listen. This miracle was mostly Peter. Now, don't misunderstand. Nobody can walk on the water. But it wasn't like Jesus said, come, and Peter just levitated. He didn't levitate. He had to stand up in the boat, and he had to take his foot and put it over. And here's the hard part. He had to shift his weight. Now, if it had been me, I'd have been doing this. Not hard yet. But Peter shifted his weight and started walking. Family, listen, this miracle is more about Peter than it is about Jesus. And it's when Peter starts getting freaked out in his head, he starts sinking. And Jesus looked at him and said, why did you doubt? It was more about his action. See, the reality is most of us, and it was this young gal, this, this campus crusade gal. I said, do you want to? You're prelate. She said, I'd love to. She said, but I'm afraid that it'll be me. I said, of course it will be you. You think God's going to jump into your body and take your tongue and flap it like, you're, like a demon would? You're going to have to bring your tongue and you're going to have to shift your way to start. You're going to have to give it to God. Looking to him, you're going to have to do like that little kid when, that had the lunch and Jesus is trying to feed thousands and he says, who has anything? And this little guy comes with his couple of fishes and a couple of loaves. And gives it. Now, anybody knows that those couple of fishes and loaves are not going to feed those thousands. But when you give what you got to Jesus, something kicks in. I am telling you, if you will dare to, with stammering lips, give your tongue to Jesus, give to the Holy Spirit, yielding in that moment, and you watch what God does. And I've seen this hundreds of times. People that have, you know, have been so afraid it'll be them. And I tell me, it is you. People that have the gifts say, well, I think it was me. Of course it's you. I can start and stop praying in tongues anytime I want. I can. It's me praying in tongues. But as I do, something gets unlocked and I start sensing that, <laughs> whatever that is, God's presence. And the glory starts opening up. Huh? Here's what I'm encouraging you to do. That girl when I prayed for her. Put my hand. I said, "Now listen. You get it. It's got to be you." She said, "Yeah." So I said, "You ready?" And I, I said, "Let's pray for the while. We're praying for the while." And I sense God's presence. I said, "I'm going to put my hand on you, and we're going to pray." Okay. So I put my hand in her. I could sense God's life. I said, "You feel His presence?" Yeah. I said, "Whenever you're ready." And she started going. Blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, bam! Translated into beautiful language that neither of us understood what we were saying. Well, what if she just made it up? Well, who cares? We get to believe the craziest stuff, man. Are you kidding me? It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Let's stand. So here's what I'm encouraging you to do. If you are a tongue talker and you don't talk in tongues much, shame on you. <laughs> Just kidding. No, shame on you. Pray in tongues. If you've never had it, just what you need to do is drive out to some isolated area. Seek him, surrender your life and your tongue to him. Watch what happens. Have a wonderful Pentecost. So good. Very good. Um, some of you today are ready to shift your weight. You're ready to kind of lean into this. 
Um, as always, our prayer team is going to be here at the front, and you may just simply be saying, I just want to open myself up. I want to be ready for whatever the Spirit has for me. And sometimes we just need some encouragement in that. And so if you need prayer for that, then certainly utilize that. Um, I come from a different tradition originally. Um, Ed talked about being raised in this. I wasn't raised in this. I didn't come into this experience until until college, and we'll talk a little bit about that next week. And so wherever you find yourself, just step forward, step into this. There's some rich stuff ready for you. Uh, two things before we go. First of all, it's summer, uh, if you've noticed. Um, and um, we are um, recognizing that people are scattering, and that's what happens during the summer. Um, some of you get to say, you know, it's just too nice out to go to church. We can't say that, but you get to say that, and that's okay. Um, and one of the things that would be most helpful to your church is if you have made a commitment to, to give financially here, is to just help us stabilize, would be to consider auto-give, our easy give. If you look on your um, envelope, there's some in front of you. And it says auto-give. You can do it very simply. And I just encourage you to take one with you, give it to an usher in the next couple weeks or so. It would just help us to know how to plan. We're responsible to take. You notice we take about 30 seconds to take an offering here. We will not preach sermons every time we take an offering. We're not going to harangue you. We're not going to manipulate you. We believe it comes out of a heart that is, wants to reflect the nature of God. It's something that happens naturally in you. So we just give you an opportunity for that. But, um, but this would, so, so we're responsible to take the money that comes in and manage it and, and make it work. Uh, if you've been watching the bulletin the last three weeks or so, we've hit summer, and so we've kind of slipped a little bit. And this would just help us to know how to plan and how to get through the summer. We're going to have services. We're going to have youth services. All this stuff still happens in the summer, even if you're gone. You can cancel this in, in one phone call. If you need to change something or your job changes or whatever, it's very simple. It's very safe. You can do it through a debit or credit card. You can do it um, through your checking account. Anyway, be very helpful to your church if uh, you would consider that. Some of you already, many of you already do that. You'll notice as the buckets pass and you notice that these people don't ever give. A lot of people are giving already. They've, they do it this way. So no judgment, okay? Stop it. Um, yeah, he'll, he'll judge, but don't judge each other, okay? Um, next thing, June the 3rd, two weeks. Um, few months ago, we're about eight months into this new venture, this new blending of our lives together. It's been an exciting journey. We're excited about the future. A few months ago, we had a family meeting, and we kind of told you what we were thinking about and some opportunities that we were looking at, and, and we've just been praying through that and, and testing the waters and doing some research and so forth. We want to give you an update. Two weeks, June the 3rd, 6 o'clock, here, we will feed you pizza. We think it'll be a better turnout. Uh, we will feed you pizza. Uh, we will feed your children pizza, okay? And so just come, and, and uh, let's just talk together, reason together about, about our future, and we're going to um, uh, move into it with confidence, and we're going to just share with you what's going on there. All right? So consider those two things. Let's, let's sing together as we close. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. 
Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his face turn towards you and give you peace.